Some of us have been going through some of the minor prophets, specifically Hosea, the last several weeks. As we prepare our hearts for First Peter, I wanted to share a text with you from Zechariah chapter 13. This is in the context of idolatry, but I think you'll understand when I run across one particular term what, what I want to share with you this morning. The prophet says, Awake! O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That's Satan's plan, right? It's always been his plan. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones to the whole land, declares the Lord. Two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put the third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord. The Lord is my God. If you're taking notes, I want you to take a note of Zechariah chapter 13, 7 through 9 and revert back to that sometime this afternoon or sometime this next week. We're going to be in 1 Peter the next several weeks. I think you'll understand why I read that text in Zechariah here in just a moment. There is a scattering that takes place. But sometimes to understand where we're going, we need to look further ahead. And so I looked this past week and looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. It's here on the screen for you, I think. Maybe. Maybe not. There it is. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, Peter says, exhorting, challenging, admonishing you, declaring that this is the true grace of God. This letter is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard for me to stand firm in it. You know what I mean? I mean, Jay, when you were up here and were sharing your heart with us about a brother, a friend, a fellow teacher that had passed away this past week, that's that's where I'm challenged. When things like that happen to me, I'm challenged to stand firm in it. I appreciate the meditation that talks about the mind. The Romans 12, 1 and 2, when you started talking, Glenn, I was thinking, man, Paul tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be no longer conformed, right? The mind must be important, right? Philippians 2 text, have this mind of Christ. But then there's this scattering that takes place. Right? The scattering takes place that Zacharias speaks of. The scattering takes place here in First Peter, and I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey, but I know most of us, if not all of us, are in some sense of scattering this morning. Some kind of struggle. Something that causes us to be frustrated. Something that causes us to be discouraged. Something that causes us to say, like the psalmist, where are you, O God? Why are you allowing this to happen? I don't know if you saw the news Friday night about the people in Fort Worth uh, that had 
returned to homes that had feet of water in their homes. I was in a, a safe, dry place and thanking God for the rain, but then I'm also thinking, these people have to be scattered, right? They're, they're scattered in the sense of why, God, would you allow this? One guy had gone in and replaced all his floor with hardwood floors, replaced all the appliances with new appliances, and then all of a sudden he returns back to find his floor, new hardwood floor. I don't know what that costs. It costs quite a bit of money, wouldn't would you say, John? Underwater a couple of feet. He was scattered. Maybe you, some of you are scattered. Maybe it's a medical condition. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe it's a, maybe it's you, you look at the news and you wonder, what if? You know, we're, we're quick to cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we're tired of being scattered, are we not? Maybe we're scattered in our own mind. Maybe there's this battle going on, as, as Paul says. There's a suffering, there's a struggle, there's a, I guess we could say there's a scattering going on in our own mind of why something just doesn't make sense and yet it happens all the time. You've been there, right? I've been there many times. Charles Dickens wrote, Suffering has been stronger than all other teaching and has taught me to understand what your heart used to be. I've been bent and broken, but I hope into a better shape. Jesus is quoted as saying in the New Testament, reciting Psalm 22 from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. I cry out by night, but I find no rest. He goes on to say, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. I think we could say the psalmist is scattered there. Have you been there? Are you there? Maybe a better question is, is, how do you respond when you get there? I mean, how do you respond when you get to the fork in the road and you've got one way? There's this little voice over here telling you, if you'll just go this way, I'll give you everything that you need, right? I'll give you everything that you want. Yet you know that every time you follow that little voice in your, in your head, you know that it's led to destruction. It's led to more scattering. It's led to more... more chaos, more turmoil. There's this other voice in your, in your mind telling you to go the opposite direction. That it, may, it may cost you something. It may make you sacrifice something. But you know as well as I do that when you follow that small voice, and sometimes that voice is quieter than the other, and sometimes it's louder than the other, nevertheless, that voice is the voice of God. And you've experienced that before. In 1 Peter, we're talking about a scattering over the next several weeks. The scene is what we call the diaspora or the scattering. The dispersion, maybe some of you have heard that term before. We could blame this particular scattering of believers on the Romans. That would be the easy thing to do, right? If you know your history, 
You know that the Romans are going to do everything they can to scatter the Jews, to scatter the sheep, to scatter the people of God. But if we blame the Romans for the scattering, that would only be half true. There are religious people, those we call Pharisees, who didn't like Jesus having a growing crowd. They didn't like losing their authority. Bullies lived to eat and persecute or scatter those without power. Bullies have existed from day one. And listen, bullies aren't just those who out and out hate us. Bullies are those who live with us. They eat with us. They dress like us. And sometimes we are the very bullies that we hate. In our text over the next several weeks, bullies are antagonists. They're scattered believers from one end of the known world to the other. And you know just as well as I do, church, that when you're suffering, when you're scattered, you need some encouragement. 1 Peter chapter 1 begins this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied you. I love that introductory, right? This is not a dear John. This is to remind you of who you are. Although you may be scattered, although you may not know which way is up, recognize that Jesus Christ is faithful. He goes on to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Can I get an amen? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, church, elect ones, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. Church, I'm convinced that hope is often missing in our lives. Would you agree? When something happens that shakes our world, when we lose somebody close to us, when we recognize spiritual warfare for what it is, we often think the world is caving in around us. right? We often think the world is 
you know, how, how much more could it rain on, on me? And we're tempted to lose hope. I realize all the Sunday school answers would say, well, just, you know, just believe, just believe, just believe. I, I get all the Sunday school answers, but I'm, the flesh in me tells me, man, that is so hard. You know, I'm, I'm scattered because of the circumstances around me. I, I'm just being honest with you. And then I thought, this past week, I thought as I was preparing this sermon, I, I thought, man, how many times were the, were the apostles scattered? How many times were disciples of Jesus Christ who were all in, right? How many times did they have to go through trouble, challenges, turmoil? I've read my New Testament several times and I can't think of a perfect church. Have you? Uh, there's always some kind of scattering. There's always some kind of a ploy from the enemy that's out and out to destroy everything that God is doing in a particular place, or maybe a maybe a church, maybe it's a maybe it's your individual life, whatever it is. Satan is always attempting to to gain your hope. He wants you to lose hope. I think that's why Peter writes to the the church, the elect ones. Uh, remember what he says? He says the various trials you will encounter. This is nothing new, right? There's nothing new under the sun. There are various trials back then. There are various trials today. So I wonder why it is that we as believers in Jesus Christ, perhaps we've been around the church for a short time, maybe we've been around the church for a long time, but nevertheless, we've all experienced this loss of hope. The trouble is we often look at circumstances. We look at the trouble around us. We look at ways in which life surprises us and we focus more on those things. Listen, we focus more on those things than what we know Scripture to say. We focus more on those things than which we know that our experiences to confirm. You hear what I'm saying? We focus more on the scattering, what Satan wants to do, rather than what the Word says. There's a text in the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Some of you will know this text. It's when Jesus is told that His good friend Lazarus, Lazarus is sick. Interestingly enough, the text says that Jesus waited a couple more days before He showed up. And there's this dialogue between His closest followers and Jesus. Let's go back and let's do something with Lazarus. And Of course, the apostles are deathly afraid because the last time they went back, they were... Not in a very good place. Jesus has this conversation about their faith, right? Do you really believe? Do you have, do you have faith, right? They think Lazarus is sleeping, and if that's the case, he would be healed, and Jesus tries to convince them, no, Lazarus is dead. They've lost hope. Mary and Martha had lost hope. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 17 of John chapter 11. Now when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Why? Because they lost hope. Right? All hope is lost when somebody dies. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went 
And she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, now hear this, listen. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, you could have done something about this. Lord, if, if you'd been here, things would be as they're supposed to be. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She had lost hope. That's the reason they have the mourners around, right? That's the reason that the new normal has occurred. And then she says a statement of faith. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now we are typically motivated, I think, to read through this story pretty quickly because we think we know what this story is about. And sometimes I think it's better to slow down and, and to look at words and to look at phrases. And this is one particular statement that Jesus makes that I think we have often dismissed out of hand. Your brother will rise again. That's a, that's a big deal, isn't it? If you've got somebody dead and Jesus says your brother will rise again, that, that's a pretty big deal, right? He's trying to redefine for her hope. But she's still limited by her, her fleshly eyes. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, he redefines for her hope, he says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, Martha, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here's the question. Do you, do you believe this? Not do you have the right Sunday school answer. Not do you encourage others, but you don't take it in yourself. No, do you believe, do you believe this? And she said to him, Lord, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God that is coming into the world. Verse 25, I think, again, is the key verse in this text. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection. I am the life. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Do you believe this? Notice in our text today, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1-9, this, this is not hope as the world has hope, right? It's not hope just as everybody else has hope. Peter would say, no, this is a living hope. A living hope. So what does it mean, Peter, to have a living hope? I, I did a word study on that word, living. Living hope. What, is it, what does it mean to have... Not just a hope, but a living hope. And in 1 Corinthians, this, this is the best I could do, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. In other words, the resurrection is where everything comes to a head, right? Everything hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection occurred, then we could have hope, amen? If the resurrection didn't have hope, what are we doing here? If it, didn't, if it didn't occur, what are we doing here? That's exactly what Paul is telling the church in Corinth. He goes on to say in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Now you know just as well as I do, there's a gray area in Scripture, right? This is not a gray area. This is black and white. Paul is saying, listen, 
The reason you have faith is because of what Jesus has done. The reason you can act upon your faith is because of the resurrection. This is a living hope, right? This is not something... Have you ever been to a funeral where when you walk... Maybe, maybe you know this person, maybe you don't, maybe you just casually know them, but you, nevertheless, you're at the funeral and you hear a preacher or somebody get up and give a eulogy, some, some good words, but you walk away thinking, I'm not sure if that person was a believer or not. You understand what I'm saying? Where it's almost like, where it's almost like you, can, you think that people are making up good things just to make up good things about this person. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I have. And I wonder, for those of us left, because funerals are about those of us left, I wonder if, if the hope that is preached week in, week out, day by day, even at a funeral, right, is that that occurs in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This hope that we can have that's living. I hope that makes sense to you. I, I, I think all too often that we just post something on Facebook and say, my prayers are with you, but it never goes any farther than that. Or we say, you know, Johnny, we'll see Johnny again one day, knowing full well that Johnny never bore fruit in his life here and now. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we say things to make us feel better about those situations. This is not a, this is not a hope as unbelievers have. This is, a living, this is a living hope, Paul would say. This is a living hope, Peter would say, right? So it comes down to, do you believe? It's not a Sunday school answer. It's not, it's not if the Storms will come, because they will come. But do you really believe despite the storms? Let me take another angle. What, what is it that you hope for? You hope all your nightmares will go away? Maybe you will hope for when you get up in the morning that all your problems will be gone. Maybe you hope that people won't disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint you. And chances are, you're going to disappoint me. But if we realize that a living hope church is bigger than those disappointments, they don't paralyze us. You understand what I'm saying? Going back to the fork in the road, we have two options. The Israelites, every time they're disappointed, they have two options. You can get over in the corner. You can lay down in the fetal position. And you can waste away your life. The other option is we can live by a living hope, as Peter would call us to. We would move beyond the scattering that the enemy wants for us. And we would truly believe. God changed the world through 12 ordinary individuals. Did you hear what I said? God changed the world through 12 ordinary individuals. You, you don't have to believe it here, but please believe it here. This is a living hope. 
he goes on to say that believers should rejoice in their salvation. Now, here's some, here's, here's some real trouble that Peter, I think, has to at least consider before he writes these words. Rejoice, Peter? Really? Do you know my circumstances, Peter? Do you know I can't pay my bills? Do you know that person that I've tried to get along with for so long is just being hard to get along with? Do you know my sir? Do you know the what the doctor has said, Peter? Do you do you know? And you're calling me to rejoice. You're telling me to be happy. You're told. Here's something for you to understand. When we talk about rejoice, he's not talking about an emotional thing. He's not about. He's not talking about a giddiness, right? He's not talking about a, a happiness, a ha-ha-ha, right? No, he's talking about rejoice because these things are all temporal. These things will all pass away. This storm that started, eventually it's going to end. The rain is going to stop. You understand what I'm saying? Now, you can't see that when the rain is coming down. You, you can't see that when you walk into a house that you've completely gutted and remodeled and all of a sudden you've got two feet of water in the house, you, you, hard for you to see, right? And yet Peter says to rejoice. Well, it's not possible without a living hope. But if you have that living hope, you can rejoice knowing that all these things will come to an end. Notice what he says. You're going to go through these various trials. You're going to go through things, if necessary, you've been grieved with. You're, you're going to have suffering. You're going to have struggles in your life. Everything is not going to work out the way you thought it was going to work out. But what you do with those things is you recognize that God is working in those things despite what they are. That's a living hope. That's why you should rejoice. Revelation chapter 21. Listen, if you want to be happy about something, if you want to rejoice in something, here you go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. By the way, the sea is where all the troubles exist for those of the ancient Near East. The sea is where the monsters live. And John says the sea is no more. There's no more struggling. There's no more trouble. There's no more trial. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away, listen, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Man, I look forward to that day. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Jay. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you hear that? Everything is temporal. The former things have passed away. Things are the way they are supposed to be. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. God's in the business of making all things new. And he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. 
I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and with sulfur, which is the second death. Church, everything that we encounter, everything that we go through is temporary. Everything will eventually end. Revelation chapter 21 says that there will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. If you believe that, know also that anything the enemy can do to distract or destroy you, he will. You remember what Jesus says in John chapter 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come. But, there's the word of contrast, but I've come to give you life, and not just life, but life to the full. Abundant life. You hear the difference? The enemy will tip to make you, cause you to look elsewhere. He will do everything in his power to confuse you. That's that voice that he's drawing you away from God. He's drawing you away. And you get so frustrated at yourself, you get frustrated at others, and Maybe you're even angry with God. If Satan did that to Jesus, why wouldn't he do it to us? But Peter says we rejoice because we know the end. We know Satan's destruction. We know Satan's destruction, and guess what? He knows his destruction as well. The reason we rejoice isn't because of ignorance out of some blind craziness. We rejoice because God is faithful. We rejoice because God is true. God is our provider. God is our protector. God is our healer. God is everything that we need. Is anybody awake? John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is red letter edition. This is Jesus Himself speaking. Let not your hearts be troubled. What do you mean, God? Do you know my circumstances? Yes, I know your circumstances. But I'm greater than your circumstances. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have, not t- would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's a reason to rejoice. I will come again. I will take you to Myself. That where I am, you may also be. And yet, I run across believers that are paralyzed by their circumstances. You do too. And sometimes we are those believers that are paralyzed by our circumstances. Can I ask you this? Do you rejoice? I'm often amazed at People who are angry that seem to get angrier. They get more bitter. You know those people? When things don't go their way, they get angry. They get bitter. It's really tough for them to rejoice. Again, we're not talking about an emotional thing. We're talking about rejoicing knowing that God's working despite the circumstances. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, chapter 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In other words, this is not a message from Peter. It's not just a message from Jesus. It's something that Paul understood as well. By the way, he's writing this from house arrest. Paul, really? Rejoice? Yeah, he's been there. He's got the t-shirt. He's got relevancy. He can tell you to rejoice because he's doing that. I'm reminded of the disciples who were in the prison in Acts. and They're in prison. They're in chains. And what do they do? They rejoice. They're worshiping. Their focus is not on the circumstances. Their focus is on the One who's greater than the circumstances. Peter says in this salvation, you rejoice. What God has done for us, we see. Think about God's love for you this morning. Think about His grace. And and I dare you, try not to rejoice. If you really understand His grace, if you understand His love, if you understand His mercy, if you understand His compassion, all this other stuff, all the circumstances are just distractions. Finally, Peter says the end result is to obtain, notice what he says, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, this is the end result. Faith equals salvation. This is the end result. In the meantime, it will be tested, right? There will be storms, there will be questions, but how will you respond? We often think that we would respond in certain ways until we actually come upon the storm or the storm comes upon us. But how do you respond? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Here's another one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Some of you know that, that text. Some of you know that Scripture verse. Some of you can quote it better than I can. But what does it mean? Or what about this one? Some of you will... In our Wednesday night study, we'll appreciate Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Paul says to the church in Rome, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Christ is the end of righteousness. For Christ is your righteousness. For Christ is your diakosune. For Christ is the end. He's our righteousness. That is, that is the key. Church, when you suffer, and you will, When you struggle, and you will. When you weep, and when you grieve, and you will. You come to a fork in the road. You can believe a lie and follow a path that leads to more trouble. Or you can believe the truth. And stand upon God's promises. Stand upon His Word. You you can become paralyzed. You you can become immobile. Your pain might be so severe that it might cause you to do nothing. And you atrophy. Or you can live a victorious life that the Word says that we can live by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's not do nothing. Let's not do nothing. Let's believe what the Word says. Have a living hope. Rejoice in suffering. And know, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. 